With that, I'd like to turn to Ha'igeret Al-Haromim, the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 11. Over the last few months, we have been going through this letter of Rav Shaul to the Kehillah in Rome. And as Rav Shaul has gone through uh, addressing them, it's become very apparent what we were saying from the beginning, that he's addressing a problem between believers. There are the Jewish believers who are um, valuing their ownership of the Torah. They're valuing their heritage. And yet they have been cast out of Rome for a number of years or for a time, and they have come back into Rome, and they've come back into a kehilah that is now run and populated by those who are not Jewish, the Gentile believers. And these Gentile believers are not keeping the Torah in the same way that the Jewish believers are. They don't see things the same way, and there's a conflict. And not only is there a conflict, but you get very clearly from what Rav Shaul is saying that the conflict goes even deeper than this. There's actually bad blood between them. There's actually uh, antipathy. And Rav Shaul addresses, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he addresses the reasoning behind this. What should their attitude be? What is it that really binds them together as believers in Messiah, Yeshua? And it's very instructive because it tells us what binds us together as believers in Messiah, Yeshua? What is it that we have in common that gives us our standing before God? And how, um, how are we to understand the fact that God has set aside the people of Israel, as has become painfully obvious in the Kehilah in Rome, where the Jewish believers were due to politics, outside of the Kehilah, actually set aside out of the city of Rome for a while, have come back in and are now, in a sense, outsiders. What is it? What is God's great plan for Israel? And Rav Shaul deals with all of the things that are bubbling under the surface. He deals with all of the theological problems and and that that are facing these believers and he's dealing with the reasons why they should together be looking forward to the fulfillment of God's plan for Israel that was in Romans chapter 11 which we read a couple weeks ago where Rav Shaul says for the goyim for the gentiles they should be delighted that God has set aside the Jewish people because this is his plan for the salvation of all the world. But they should even be more delighted in the fact that God is going to reconcile the Jewish people to himself. And that will be like the bringing back of life from the dead for the whole world. And that for the Jewish believers, we have this hope that the day is coming when Kol Yisrael will be saved. All of Israel will be saved. So he spent a lot of time, Romans 1 to 11, talking about 
what our thinking should be about these things. And now we come to Romans chapter 12, where Rav Shaul says, okay, now, now that you understand what is right, how should you then live? There's a story about a Jewish grandmother. Jewish grandmother is going to be visited by her son and his wife. And she has moved, so she's in a new apartment in New York. You know, a lot of uh, Jews in North America are in New York. There's a couple million of them in New York. And, and, um, and she, she's talking to her son on the phone. She says, okay, you come up to the apartment with your wife, and with your elbow, you will see my name, and next to my name, it's room uh, apartment number 1404. With your elbow, press the button 1404. And she says, I'll let you in. So he says, okay. And then, then you come into the elevator and with your elbow, you press button number 14 to get to the 14th floor. And when you come to my apartment, room 1404, With your elbow, you press the doorbell, and I'll let you in. And her son says, that's wonderful, um, but why do I have to use my elbow? And she says, what? You're going to come (laughs) empty-handed? Every time I think of that kind of thing, I I think of my wife's grandmother from New York, who was just like that. There's a little lesson in that when we come to Hashem, do we want to come empty-handed? Do we want to come with something or do we just want to uh, kind of slide in and, and really not uh, give him the reverence that is due? And Rav Shaul has laid out for the believers everything that God wants them to know about his plan for the nations, his plan for Israel, and how together we are united in that we have all come to God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. And now he says, this is what it means. There is now a requirement. And so Rav Shaul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That's a very powerful statement. Here is Rav Shaul. He himself is an outsider to Rome. He doesn't really belong there, and he's kind of presupposing something in that he writes to them as someone who's never been to Rome and never visited the Kehila there. But he writes, and now he beseeches them. And it's very interesting how he beseeches them. We have the English word beseech or urge or beg, depending which uh, translation you have, but it's very interesting how he writes it. Parakaleo is the verb, I Come alongside. Para, we know the word para, you parallel, you come alongside. 
We talk about the Ruach HaKodesh, who is the paraclete. He is the one who comes alongside. And he says, Kaleo, I call. Now, Kaleo is, I'm not a linguist, but I can see the connection. Kaleo is a word that reverberates through history. In Hebrew, we have call, your voice. Um, And in English, we have the word call, which means Call out with your voice. Kaleo is calling out in the Greek. It's all the same word, it seems to me, even though I'm not a linguist. Rav Shaul says, I am coming alongside you and I am calling you to this. That's why we translate it as beseech or urge or beg. He's, he's not commanding. He's not dictating, saying, this is what you must do. He's not beating them over the head with a two-by-four. But he spent page after page or in a scroll, leaf after leaf, and he, he has spent a lot of time explaining to them why they ought to love one another, why they ought to be united in purpose. And now he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, or brethren, more accurately, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Now, I memorized this verse long, long time ago, and I remember I memorized Romans chapter 12. I think it was in 1983, and so it's familiar. It's not memorized anymore, but it's very familiar. And I remember memorizing this verse and not having it in context, in other words, I, I read this and understood which is what is the overarching principle is that our lives in every respect ought to be a living sacrifice to God. We ought to offer ourselves up in every respect, in every fiber of our being, in every member of our body, in every aspect of our life. We offer ourselves up to God. A living sacrifice. We, as it were, allow ourselves to be bound to the altar and present our, our bodies wholly acceptable to God. That is an overarching principle and something that is so important. Because as people often say, if, if the Lord, Hashem, is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. And while we may have trouble putting this into practice, nevertheless, we offer ourselves to him. And so we are urged to do this on the general level. But Rav Shaul is also addressing, if we get back to the book of Romans, he's addressing a very particular situation. And in particular, they are fighting with each other. In particular, they are at loggerheads and there's resentments and other issues in this congregation that he doesn't deal with in detail because he doesn't know personally all of the people in the congregation in Rome. He doesn't know every situation. He's dealing in general terms. But this is where the sacrifice comes in. And it is sometimes the area in which it is hardest to sacrifice ourselves, to love one another, to forgive one another, 
to care for one another, to lay aside our grievances, which are legitimate, because the Gentiles have had the Jews telling them that we keep the Torah and why are you sinning like this? And the Gentiles have really displaced the Jewish people and they have not treated them right upon their return to the city of Rome. And there are legitimate problems and yet at the heart of it, Rav Shaul says, now it is time to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Sometimes in our lives, those are the hardest sacrifices, reconciling with one another. I can't read this without concern over relationships that maybe I didn't have time to completely seal up or, or, or deal with since leaving the United Kingdom a year ago. I continue to um, work on one or two relationships that I want to make sure are right because this is what God calls us to, to a love one for another, offering up ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual service. It's, it sounds spiritual, but here they are. They're probably sitting on other sides of the rooms where they meet. They're probably um, struggling over who eats with who and who, sit, who, uh, who speaks and, and so forth in their kehilah. This is a very real down-to-earth service. But Rav Shaul says it is a spiritual service. He comes alongside them and gives them this command. It's an encouragement to us, really, to have this ideal. Sometimes we can look at what God has said, and we can be discouraged and say, I can never live up to it. But here, Rav Shaul says, this is your spiritual service. And it is something that we can hold on to and something we can live by. It is not a condemnation. He encourages us in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Something Rav Shaul has said elsewhere, to set our minds on the things that are good, the things that are above, that are pleasing to the Lord. And here they are encouraged to renew their minds, to be transformed, to take this teaching that he has given them and to learn to honor and to respect and to love one another. And this is why he says in, in verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to use sound judgment as God has assigned for each person a measure of faith. And what a tremendous application of what he's been saying. You need to not think of yourself as better than the other person. Remember the, the Jewish people in Romans chapter 2. Rav Shaul says, Who are you, O man, to judge the sinners? And as you look at the book of Rome, you can see the, the Romans, you can see the pride that the different parties have. 
one against another. And Rav Shaul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be proud, but rather love one another and to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. God has given each of us a measure of faith. It's interesting, this word again, to deal with uh, pride and thinking oneself better. It's, it is uh, another Greek word, huperfroneo, and it is kind of the, the word that occurs not only in the Brit Hadashah, but in the language of early believers in other writings that we have. This, this attitude that I am better than the other person. It is kind of like a supercilious a sneering, looking down upon others and, and not really respecting other people and their opinions. And there are many ways in which this happens in our world and sometimes we're not really aware that we're doing it. Sometimes we think, I have the truth. I know better than that other person out there. Sometimes it is saying, well, I understand the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. What is wrong with all the other people out there? Uh, One that I've run across is people saying, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. What is wrong with everybody else? You need to be filled with the Spirit too without saying, well, maybe... They understand scripture in a different way, and maybe the Lord has led them on a different path. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We are not better than the person next to us. Something we learn when we get married. That's one of the good things about marriage. (laughs) You learn that you're not better than the other person. And so Rav Shaul says, as God has assigned to each person the measure of faith. This is sober judgment. This is sober thinking. In other words, implying that if you think you're a little bit better than anyone else, maybe you'd better think a little bit more soberly and a little bit more realistically. And so Rav Shaul has now applied what he has been saying throughout the book of Romans that concluded in Romans chapter 11 and 32, that God has shut up all, both Jews and Gentiles, in disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. Now that we understand it, we can really be humble. We can all realize that we have come to the feet of Messiah, with nothing in our hands. But now that he has called us to be his own, he says, you may have nothing, but what is your good and spiritual service but to offer yourself up to God as a holy, acceptable sacrifice, a living sacrifice. It's a tremendous thing to be able to let go of selfishness and pride and ambition, and to say, I'm not going to live my life just to be happy. You know, I, I do live on the U.S. side of the border, and, and one of the, the values of America is the pursuit of happiness, they say. But biblically, 
Is our life to be lived simply in the pursuit of happiness? We are to live our lives for God. As we live our lives for God, we will find that he gives us blessing. We will find that joy that passes all understanding. That's a different thing. And that is a wonderful thing. Gamliel, the Tana, the ancient rabbi from Yeshua's days or shortly after, used to say that one ought to do God's will as one's own will. And then when one's own will is God's will, then you will see God doing your own will. In other words, we need to align ourselves with the kingdom of God. We need to seek God's ways. And in this respect, Gamliel is completely correct in that our lives need to be given to the Lord entirely, just as Yeshua did in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. Just as Yeshua taught, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added to you. It's an exciting inversion of the way the world would like to have it, where we seek our own interests, where we seek to look after ourselves first in the idea that this will make us feel happy. But so many people in the world as well have realized the secret to happiness is not to seek one's own happiness, but to care for others. When we care for others, when we love God, that is where we find true happiness. And so this is Rav Shaul's message to the people in Rome. The second part of Romans chapter 12 is verses 4 to 21. In other words, verse 4 to the end of the chapter. And we see there that Rav Shaul has 24, as I count it, maybe you could correct me if you want, 24 actions that he calls the believers in Rome to. He wants them, first and foremost, to be loving. And it should be no surprise, this is the same author of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that speaks about the value of love and concludes by saying three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. We ought to be loving one to another. We ought to care for one another. And yet at the same time, we secondly detest what is good. We turn away from what, detest rather, what is evil. We turn away from it. And sometimes, you see, Rav Shaul's using a strong word here, detest. Sometimes that is a great tool in our arsenal, in our fight against sin. When you recognize something that is sin for what it is, and when you detest it, you are able to distance yourself from it. You are able to be angry at the sin that may be nipping at your heels. You are able to turn away from it because you recognize it for what it is. And we detest sin. But first of all, we love one another. We hold fast to what is good. That's a very powerful thing. We want to hold fast to the scriptures that they, 
that have been given to us. We want to live for one another in a way that brings glory to God. We want to do all of this in the context of a body. And I want to go back up to verse 4. All of this is within the context of our life as a body, each of us being members of one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Messiah, and every one parts one of another. And here are these Romans. They're not necessarily loving each other very well. They're probably detesting rather than the sins that are maybe threatening their own personal holiness. They're probably detesting one another. They're not necessarily holding to what is good. And in the midst of it, Rav Shaul says, Now, I want you to remember, you are one body. Every one of you is a member one of another. Every one of you has a part to play. It's very important again for us as a Keilah to realize how important we are to one another. Sometimes we don't realize it, but just by being here, just by being with other believers and interacting with one another, we are encouraging, we are building up, we are edifying the body of Messiah. Our bodily life shows that we have many parts and every part does not have the same function. Rav Shaul describes some of those parts that are given. In verse 6, there is prophecy in proportion to our faith. There is service. There is teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, and love. These are all things that are, are vital to the body of Messiah. He says our service should be, in, should be seen in our serving. The one who teaches must do so according to the grace that is given in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who gives in generosity. The one who leads with diligence the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's not exactly the same list of gifts that we find elsewhere in the Brit Hadashah, but it's somewhat close. And it's really different because of what Rav Shaul is trying to point them towards. And it is their love and functioning together as a body of people who really care for one another. And these are the things that we want to happen in our own lives. We want to be those who care for one another in the body of Messiah and even without. And we also want to be the recipients of that. And we need to be looking out to make sure that everyone in our Kehilah feels that love, feels that they are being served, feels that they are being taught and exhorted and so forth. These are things that we do for one another. They build us up. They bring glory to the Lord. 
And so Rav Shaul launches onto his 24 actions, of which we've already looked at three. Loving one another, detesting what is evil, holding fast to the good. Rav Shaul says we ought to be tenderly devoted to one another in brotherly love. We ought to, fifthly, outdo one another in giving honor. And you can imagine these Romans. Here they are in a city that's full of pride. Some of them are probably aristocratic, quite well-to-do. This is a powerful city. And some of them are probably quite lowly and struggling to rub two pennies together. And Rav Shaul says, outdo one another in giving honor. I really like that. This is the message of the Brit Hadashah that runs totally counter to the message of the world. The Roman Empire is an empire that's built on power. It's built on force. And the Pax Romana, which is a bit of a fiction because there was always fighting in the Roman Empire. But the Pax Romana, the peace of the Roman Empire, was held in place by legions of well-trained, well-equipped armies. This was an empire. And in the midst of that empire, people are honored for their position. You see this throughout history. But among believers, we are to give place one to another. There is a totally different counterculture value among the people of God. Giving honor to one another. Yaakov says, don't look at the person coming to your synagogue with nice clothes, who has nice, a nice appearance, who, who basically is exuding his position and privilege just from the way he or she dresses. And don't give them the best seat just because of the way they are dressed and who they appear to be, but rather care for the lowly. This is the very message of Rav Shaul. This is the message of Yeshua that is so opposite what the world does today. We are to be those who care for those who are lowly, who care for the disadvantaged, and who don't exalt those who are doing well. We need to be those who, if we are wealthy, we give place to those who are not. We not only give honor to one another, but we are not lagging in zeal, being fervent in spirit. Two things there, zeal and fervency. We want to be completely passionate about this way of life that God has called us to. It's not something that just, um, just is something we've learned along the way, but it's something that's been internalized, it's something that we've bought into, something that affects the way that we want to live, and we want to bring glory to God in the way we fervently follow him. And so we keep serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, enduring in distress. We have a great hope. And in the midst of that hope, with all of the distress that we have in life, 
we can endure. Rav Shaul continues to encourage us to contribute to the needs of the Kedoshim, the, the holy ones, the saints, those who have been set apart. In other words, the body of Messiah, caring for one another. This is no doubt the responsibility of those who are a little bit better to do than those who are poor. But nevertheless, it is the responsibility of everyone at the same, in, at the same time. Extending hospitality. I know there are people in our Kehila who are doing a tremendous job of opening their homes, extending hospitality to one another. That is a wonderful thing that builds up the body of Messiah, that encourages, that uh, builds connections between one another outside of our regular meetings. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Of course, we know where that comes from. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, where, Rav, where Yeshua says that we should bless those who persecute us. Um, in ancient times, that became, among the early believers, a very important part of their faith. It's that very same counterculture message of the gospel. No one else quite said it this way. No one else said it so radically, and no one else lived such a radical life. It was a life that stood out from the rest of the world, where everyone was clamoring for themselves. Everyone was trying to scramble up the mountainside to get to the top. But for the believers, they rather are blessing those who persecute and bless and do not curse. We have a challenge. We live in a country where the rights of believers are being slowly and in some cases quickly eroded. And we tend to get very upset about this. But our attitude ought to be to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We rejoice. I think the heaters are making noise as they expand. Um, we, we do this not simply as an action, but as a sign of our love one for another. We care for each other so much that when another person rejoices, it fills our heart with rejoicing. When another person weeps, we weep with them. We live in harmony with one another. We are not proud, but associate with the lonely. Lowly. We are not wise in our own eyes. That is not the way that we ought to be. Wise in our own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17, giving thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom with all people. Here they are, struggling. And the days have been, and there have been occasions, and it will happen in the future, when believers in our Kehilah, just in every body of Messiah, will have conflict one with another. But in the midst of that, we have Romans chapter 12 guiding us and directing us. In, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live in shalom with all people. 
Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath. Rav Shaul does not negate the fact that there might be a reason for someone to want revenge. Yes, wrongs have been done. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Adonai. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is Rav Shaul's message to the Kehilah in Rome. Community is incredibly important. As a people, the Jewish people, we could not have survived if it was not for community. Um, in our modern era, we have been freed from being forced into community with one, one with another. Throughout the Middle Ages, Jews were forced to keep together. They were not allowed free interaction with the nations of Europe. And in Arab countries, or in Muslim countries, I should say, they were considered dimmies and were also separated from the population. So we were forced into community for century after century. A couple centuries ago, with the Napoleonic Revolution and changes across Europe, we were free. We could go anywhere we wanted. And we found out that, actually, this was one of the most destructive things to the Jewish people. Jewish people who were outside of community were far more prone to assimilate. That's the Canadian experience as well. And that is why, in the Jewish community today, there is a strong emphasis on childhood education, Jewish day schools, Jewish primary schools, and secondary schools, and why there is so much money spent on endeavors like Hillel houses and Chabad houses and the rest, because we need community. Otherwise, as a people, we cannot survive. And God intends Israel to survive. Israel is going to be there when Messiah comes and sets his throne um, in Jerusalem and takes the throne of King David. Another ancient rabbi, Hillel, said, Do not separate yourself from your community, nor trust in yourself until the day of your death. Moreover, don't judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Another version of the so-called uh, story, do not judge another man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Uh, basically the same thing. We need one another. It's not that Hillel proves the Bible. The Bible proves that Hillel was okay when he said that. That's one of the things that he said that were right. The scriptures tell us we need one another. We ought to love one another. And so the message for us is when we come to the doorbell, are we going to be using our fingers or are we going to be using our elbows to get in? Like, what are we bringing? What is our sacrifice? What are we bringing to the Lord? And what are we bringing to our community? And please, God, each one of us will be bringing ourselves as a living sacrifice, saying, I'm not going to live for my own interests. I'm not going to live so that I can prove that I am right when other people say things against me or when there is conflict. But I am going to live 
for the sake of my sister or for my brother. And I am going to be that living sacrifice to the Lord. That, I believe, is the message of Romans chapter 12 for us, for the Romans, and for our Kehila today. Let's conclude in prayer, and then after a final song, we'll have a benediction. And then after the benediction, we will go downstairs where we will take part in observing and authenticating and witnessing um, Tzadok's Tevilah. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you that you have given us these encouraging words. There are many principles and many um, encouragements that seem maybe a little bit too high and too difficult to reach. But Father, we thank you that you have given us this privilege of giving something back to you for all that you have done for us and for committing ourselves to be a living sacrifice which is our good and worthy service. Avinu, we pray that we might be a body that is known by its love one for another, that brings glory to you in the way we treat one another, even in the midst of conflict and controversy. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.